Happy Friday, everybody. This is Nick, and I'm here with Vicky, and you're listening to the number one podcast that entertains the space between your ears, the Mousecapades Podcast. This is episode 326, and we're going to be talking about Howard Ashman, Nick's, I don't know what you want to call him, Nick, your hero. He is Disney's messiah. Your, uh, yeah, the person that he thinks is, I don't know, he, he puts him on a throne. He really is. I tell you what. He carries his picture. He saved Disney. He did. I mean, if it wasn't for Howard, I... I don't know if we would be at the time and place or at the place we are right now with Disney Maybe Animation. Not. Okay, so we're going to be talking about Howard Ashman. You're at the right place at the right time. You found the number one podcast that entertains the space between your ears. It's super I hope you enjoy the show. If you like me, you're going to laugh a lot. We invite you to pull up a chair. Be guess. Relax and get ready to take a trip to the vacation kingdom of the world. So grab your magic bands and your Mickey ears. Here we go. Because it's time for another episode. Of the Mousecapades Podcast. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem free philosophy. Akuna basically just give you a little snapshot of Howard Ashman before we start getting into his life and his work. And it really gets really uh, grand and not to sound uh, too mean here, but the last 10 of his 10 years of his life, that's what we're going to focus on. Right. That's where as a Disney fanatic, that's where it really starts to get good with Howard Ashman and the whole Disney Renaissance. We've talked about the Disney Renaissance, right? I've talked to you about how, wow, that was like my childhood growing up was the late 80s and right. early 90s. And you had films that came out like Little Mermaid. And we're going to talk about the influence that Howard Ashman had on the Little Mermaid. Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, right? Right. And, and then sadly, he passed away right before Beauty and the Beast was released. But here you, you have a guy who transformed Disney animation to what it is now. What I mean by that, through music, lyrics, right? Right. Disney films that do extremely well are musicals. That is the root of Walt Disney's animation. You go all the way back to... um, Snow White. Snow White. With the way you work. It was the music that really brought the story to life. And and, and it was the characters as well, the animation and the the animation of the specific characters, right? right? How how the artists would animate them. Not animate them, but, you know, their facial expressions and exaggerate their animations. Really bringing those seven dwarfs and Snow White to life. But it was a lot about the song and the dance. Because the songs get in your head. Right. And then you want to watch them. As time went on, that kind of died out. So you had the old animators that were leaving the company, moving on, that were dying. You had the second generation of anim- animators that were riding the coattails of Disney's original nine old men, right? Very true. And so, like, it was those animators that simply, just to simply put it, weren't good as great as the original animators. And so you had new animators coming in that were really trying to uh, build upon what the old 
that, that that were out, right? Right. Trying to learn as much as they could on the current animators that learned off the coattails, riding the coattails of the of the old nine old men, right? And so it just wasn't the same. You had box office flops like the Black Cauldron, right? That's right. just one that comes to mind. And these animation films that just weren't doing well. And so Disney finally reached out to a guy named Howard Ashman, who brought life back into Disney through song and dance and through lyrics, right? He was a lyricist. Or, am I saying that right? Lyricist. A, a, a lyricist, thank you. That really knew how to tell a story through lyrics. Yeah. I mean, beautiful, too. So let's get let's get into Howard Ashman. And I'm bringing up my notes for here. I went ahead and just typed up some notes. Um, we're going over the life and work of Howard Ashman. And again, this guy, first off, he, he was deemed by Disney. He was coined... Uh, they, they always said that Howard Ashman is the man who gave the mermaid her voice and the beast his soul. Maybe you've heard of this? Yes. Okay, so Well, you I'm have. sure I've heard you say it, besides, okay. but I have heard that in the and past. hopefully our listeners have said this. And it goes further than just saying a mermaid her voice and the beast his soul. I think you could translate that into Disney giving Disney back their their voice. Their voice and their soul. And their yes. soul, right? Because that's exactly what he did. It was these two films that transformed the animation into what it is today. And we haven't seen films like that since uh, uh, films like, uh, you know, Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid. Right. And The Lion King and Aladdin. The next film series that came out really weren't that great and it was it was after he passed away right right it wasn't until frozen when you when i sat down and i saw frozen and they followed the same template right howard ashman did through song and dance and music and right this was going to be a great cartoon aaron colin i remember looking over saying this is going to be something grand disney struck gold on this film and i even sat there in the theater and told them they use the same template as a disney renaissance that's what happened here and look at frozen they're making a part two now yes so against anyway, your better so, judgment. So, yeah. So let's let's get back to Howard Ashman. He was born in 1950, right? So he's he's young. I was gonna right? say he, he died, died young. young. Yes, he did because uh, he's only a couple years. When younger. did he die? 40 or something like that, or 39? Uh, uh, something like that. Early. Yeah. Born in Baltimore in 1950. He went to the college. Uh, he went to a college in Vermont called uh, the Goddard College, or where. And then after that, he moved to New York. So he went to Goddard. He was very involved in film. He was even involved in, uh, I should say, theater. Sorry. Right. Even at a young age, you know, back in Baltimore and in, in his hometown, he he was involved in the local theater there, and he played in, in one that he actually loved Pinocchio and he was a prominent character in Pinocchio and absolutely loved it he carried his inspiration and his love for theater to in college from there he moved to New York back in uh, 1976 he wrote a play called The Confirmation and this was produced at Princeton's uh, McCarter Theater at the Annenberg Center in Philadelphia. And then later on in 77, so just a, a year later, so this is kind of cool. This is where he really starts getting his hands dirty and getting involved in the creating process of actually creating things from nothing. So he helped reopen, uh, the, I believe it's, uh, what's the acronym? The, the WPA, the Workshop of Arts Players Foundation. And their mission, basically, the WPA's mission, uh, was dedicating... Uh, it's works to like neglected American classics of the past and the creation of new American plays and musicals. Okay. So there you go. Remember that plays and musicals. All right. So Howard was very instrumental in helping the WPA get back on its feet again as an artist director. Now, fast forward a little bit in 82, Howard uh, conceived and, and, and wrote a play called Little Shop of Horrors. Which I got to tell and you, shocks me. Isn't so little. So did you not know this? 
I did not know that. So and that's what really gave him his huge start. This is what that Anna is pulled so him. different from what he the stuff that I knew him for, like okay. the Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid. My son, I don't know if you knew that, and Josiah just did Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, did they? Yeah, that was the High School Musical okay. that they did this this. Uh, so spring. this is what really catapulted his career. It was this moment, this defining moment of Little Shop of Horrors that really pushed him forward into That's what amazing and who we know Howard Ashman today. So this film, it, it was like something on the internet now that goes viral. So back in in eighty two. Little Shop of Horrors was just that. It went viral worldwide. I watched an interview on him explaining how it was translated in like 15 different languages and being produced around the world, which was a huge accomplishment. Now, there's another key player to this in Little Shop of Horrors that you'll see later on with Disney. Alan. And yeah, he had a buddy named Alan Menken. And Alan Menken and, and Howard Ashman's relationship was very strong. They developed a very strong bond in the very beginning. Uh, it's people that knew them have gone on the record saying uh, they just knew each other's potential and they gravitated towards, towards each other and just created stuff. Like they knew the other person was great in what they did. Right. And so they used their uh, particular skills and just created stuff, you know, not just stuff, but great stuff together. When you put those two together, that's the two of them remind me a lot of the Sherman brothers, but they weren't brothers. Right. I mean, they knew right. what the other one was thinking. And that's a good analogy. We haven't seen that since the Sherman brothers. Right. Stuff being produced at that level. Right. And again, this is the, the whole Renaissance period is coming up and we haven't seen this since the early years of Disney. That's why this is very exciting to talk about. And it was during our lifetime. Which, right. is, which is amazing. Uh, so how, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman come together, create Little Shop of Horrors with the help of Alan Menken, who developed the music, right? Which we'll see later on down the road. They did the exact same thing with Disney. So I told you that this was the time when Howard's career was really taking off. Uh, at the same, So at, during this time, Disney Animation Studios contacted Howard in hopes that he could be uh, paramount in Disney's new direction. Disney knew that they were going in the wrong direction. They knew they had some pretty bad animators. They knew they had some pretty bad storylines. They it just, And it was showing in, box, in the box office. Oh, yeah. Data or stats, whatever you want to say. They weren't making money. Matter of fact, the animation studios was getting ready to close its doors in the mid-80s and, and close production. Because honestly, the only movie that I remember as a small child is Pete's Dragon. And again, not it's a, it's a good movie for its time. But until I remember very, very vividly the Renaissance period, the Little right. Mermaid, it, the Beauty it, just, and the it exploded out of nowhere. Like literally, the animation studios at this time was about to collapse. They were shutting its doors. They were going to give up. They were going to dust their, their hands off and, and call it a day because of all the box office flops the past decade. Howard was pivotal at this point uh, with the Disney Renaissance. He brought back life into the studios, into their veins again, once more not seen since the beginning of Disney, since it began with Snow White and Pinocchio and all those films. Howard produced lyrics, so he was tasked. So at the same time, Disney was creating a new story called The Little Mermaid, right? And, and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. All this was going on at the same time in the 80s. Now, those films didn't come out until like the mid-90s, but those storylines were already being developed. Now, matter of fact, Beauty and the Beast, or, yeah, Beauty and the Beast was developed, I want to say back in the late 40s, early 50s in the animation studios. Right. Walt wanted to, wanted to develop that film way back then. And Fantasia, uh, came out, got in the way, right? Because Walt right. wanted to do that as well, and he was advised not to do that, and then he wanted to do Beauty and the Beast, and he was advised not to do it. So, Beauty and the Beast sat on the sat on the table 
for a long time. Right. And then it was at this point that the animation studios, when their the doors are about to shut and they're, let's bring this back. Let's bring this back to life. So let's create The Little Mermaid. Let's create Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. So they contact Howard. They bring him in. They're like, hey, you know, just created Little Shop of Horrors. It's a huge, huge success, right? Worldwide, Disney wanted to bring in the top talent. It was at, at that time, too, that Howard was like, I'll do it, but I'm bringing my buddy with me. You know, I'm bringing Alan Menken with me to do the music. Disney agreed. So during the production of The Little Mermaid, Howard discovered that he was also, at this time, infected with HIV. And it was also at that time that Alan Menken learned that he was infected by HIV. So Alan Menken and and Howard Ashman really just developed this friendship between the two of them, you know, just years before. And they were producing great things. And it was at that time that Alan Menken realized, you know, that Ashman's not going to be here much longer, right? I mean, how, how sad would that be to meet someone that you really are compatible with? You're doing really grand great work, great right. things with them. And all of a sudden you find out your best friend has HIV. Right? And and at that time it was a death or, sentence. Even to be, right. And even to be Howard Ashman, you know. Right. Y- your career is really just taking off. Right. You know, and then you find out you're infected with HIV. Because at that time when that was happening, medical uh, people were not prepared for it. They were just learning about it. Oh, yeah. If it that, was now. Yeah, he, he would probably still be alive if it was recent. So we just didn't know. You know, back right. then, medicine, modern medicine, you just didn't know what we didn't know. And right. so now, you know, thank goodness we have medicines that can combat, you know, the virus. But Exactly. Uh, so back then, so getting back um, in, in 1986, Howard began collaboration with the Disney Company and working with composer uh, Barry Mann. Howard, back then, contributed a song to... Um, Oliver and Company, okay? And I don't know if you remember this film. No, I do because I'm a big Huey Lewis and the News fan. Okay. And so this was basically a trial run by Disney. We want to bring you in, but we want to see what you can do with this film. And we'll go from there. So he created the lyrics of Once Upon a Time in New York City, which we all know. I grew up loving this film. And right now, Brad, if you could, I want you to go ahead and insert this film and, and play a few for us. It's always once upon a time in New York City. So as you can see there, Vicky, Howard was really good at picking up the details of a big city like New York, right? Right. And bringing those emotions of being a, a single person or the hustle and bustle of New York City and bringing that to life with just lyrics. I mean, if we go listen to those lyrics, go back, you can listen to it, listeners, and you're listening to the hustle and bustle of a big city and the emotions that go through it is really neat. Disney was pleased with his work at this point. And then they asked him to bring him on with Little Mermaid at, the, at this point. So after considering many projects, Howard chose to work in animation and proposed uh, to Disney, we need to bring on Alan Menken, right? We need to bring him on to help me out with this project that you have going on called The Little Mermaid. So he started to begin his work on A Little Mermaid and he brought other significant contributions to uh, the, the Disney Animation Studio. So he was brought in just to write lyrics and his buddy Alan was brought in to bring song or bring a melody to his lyrics, right? Right. But he was so good at what he did, telling a story. And they, the Animation Studios hadn't seen that since Walt because Walt did a great job of bringing people in, telling a story, getting the buy-in from everyone, and then all those animators would just go and create stuff off the inspiration of telling a story. Howard Ashman was really good at telling a story. He was really good at bringing people in, telling a story, animating with his hands, and even singing in character, and really bringing a story to life in a room where you don't have any visual, but just this 
one person who's up there moving his body around and singing Howard Ashman. So Disney allowed him to do more than just lyrics. They allowed him to be a very important part in deciding uh, minute and, and fine details of the film and even big details of right. the film. So Disney had already created this uh, crab named Sebastian that was going to sing some songs that hadn't been created yet. But Howard, after developing some of the songs and the lyrics, you know, with and the song with the help of Alan Menken, decided, hey, you know what? We need to give uh, Sebastian a Caribbean accent, like, like a Jamaican accent right? Like, that's just the feel that I'm getting. He had that power to change, right, the direction, because before, uh, Sebastian didn't have that accent. But he brought it up, and everyone in the room was like, oh, that's a great idea. Right. I didn't think about that before. And so he was allowed to go in there and have these grand, and, and he did have grand ideas. People that worked with him even said, when I had an idea, I knew it was a great idea, but Howard would come in the room and then blow that idea out of the water. Right. And it would be grander. You know, a lot of people that work with him said the exact same thing. I might have a great idea, but Howard would walk in the door and he had an even better idea. And so Disney allowed him to be an integral part of the animation process itself as well, not just with the lyrics and things like that. So I also, uh, Brad, want you to play this clip of the contributions that Howard Ashman brought with the character Sebastian. If you could play that now, that'd be great. One of the first ideas we, we had heard that Howard had suggested was, was what if uh, the crab were Rastafarian and uh, a Jamaican or Rastafarian crab singing Calypso actually worked. Under the sea, under the sea, darling it's better down where it's wetter, take it from me. First thing that Howard Ashman and I did when we worked on Under the Sea was just to play with a rhythm, you know, and only then came. It was really inspiring because I remember with Under the Sea, literally that, that Howard and Alan were in a room working on that song. Next to them in another room were, were, were two of the story guys developing the story uh, boards for Under the Sea. They'd come in and take a look at the storyboards. You'd go in to listen to what they were working on. You could feel it in the air that we all knew that this was going to be a very special film. Really neat what his friends thought of him and the contributions he brought. He also suggested that Jody Benson, who who starred in one of his plays called uh, Smile, to be cast as Ariel. So at this point... Disney had a lot of confidence in him. They didn't have anyone casted yet to sing Ariel, to give Ariel her voice. And so he gave Ariel a voice and brought in a friend, Jody Benson. And she came in and started singing the songs. And so here's a file right now or a clip that I want you to hear as well of Jody Benson and Howard Ashman working together in the studios. This is raw audio of them together working and giving Ariel her voice. Not there yet, though. Well, you've been not quite relaxed with it yet. Yeah, I'm choosing like. Even more. Okay, because I feel like I'm there, but. It's good. No, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's not Keep it. I'm going to try one more, even more, using more of the tomboy quality, not. Okay. Not getting up into into the higher feeling at all. Try. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Keep it real straight. Real straight. Intensity. It's like it's about 
emotion not letting it off. Not letting it off. Not letting it off, but having it here. When's it my turn? Wouldn't I love that stuff? Really, it's. Was, is I'm, it's am I still a little too loud? You're great. Oh, better you're, that you're, time. You're great, better. but you are. Okay. It gets a little bright in here. That what would I give if I could live out of these waters? The intensity mm -hmm. is better than. What would I give is better than than noise. Yeah, right. and they're not doing it from them. It's but it's it's inner intensity. So happening. even more, not as singing, mm -hmm. basically. Let, use less voice and more intensity. Okay. Just get in okay. on yourself. Get yourself get yourself in the place you were in in the, in the big emotional scenes yesterday. Okay. Think of more that. That's just really cool to see the behind the scenes, right? This raw audio, those two working together and how instrumental and how grand uh, this knowing what this would become and seeing what took place before. And with that theatrical background of both of them, Jody and Howard Ashman working together and Howard basically saying, hey, y y you know, everything in Ariel's eyes. She hasn't seen this before. This is amazing. This is grand. Uh, think of it that way, you know, with how she would breathe, you know, in between the words and the excitement and Ariel. He kind of directed that, right? And kind of gave her the emotion. And so she played that emotion while she was singing. I'm just wondering if when he was writing the song, he just, you know how when we're reading a book, we picture something in our mind when immediately her face came to him and he thought that's why and that's why he recommended her. I mean, it doesn't say that exactly, but that's what I'm thinking in my mind. It seems like writers know who they're writing for. Right. And um, he thought thought, well, if they don't have anybody, I'm just going to suggest her because that's who I thought of. Well, going a little further back, you know, being, um, I mean, being honest, being a gay Jewish person uh, back then in the 70s and the 80s was tough. Oh, yeah. And so Howard Ashman experienced a lot of, of, of negativity, people around him, you know, just belittling him and all the pressure and, and, and being with his family and uh, wanting that accept acceptance from his friends and his family that he either was getting or, or mainly not getting from from his friends and family. Uh, he put a lot of emotion in his songs. And one one example I can think of that, that didn't make Aladdin, he wrote a song for Aladdin where Aladdin actually had a mother. And that was in the original story. Aladdin was supposed to go visit and look at his mom from a far off distance because right. he was banished, right? And he basically, you know, kicked out of the house, right? But he still wants to go back and just see what his mother's doing, right? And so how or Howard Ashman wrote lyrics about coming back to the house. You know, Aladdin as a boy, you know, a teenager, wanting that acceptance from his mother. And I... I want our listeners to go back and YouTube that. Like, go back and type in Howard Ashman, Aladdin, going back, seeing his mom, whatever. Just, just type that in. You'll, you'll, you'll get it. And the emotion in those lyrics. And really what you hear there is Howard Ashman, not Aladdin, going back to his own house, not Aladdin's house, and wanting that acceptance from his mom. So, and that was, Howard went on saying that was one of his favorite songs, you know, and it's because he had a lot of emotion in that song. And it his never life. made it. It was his life. And oftentimes with writers and artists, you're putting your own life into your creations. And that's, what's, that's what makes it so grand because of the emotion put into it. Right. So that song, though, never made it. It was on the cutting room floor and Howard wasn't pleased. He, he was very displeased and he didn't like the fact that that song, there's actually three songs in Aladdin that didn't make it, I believe. Or maybe there was four or five. Three of them made it back into the production or the... Um, the Broadway Aladdin oh, okay. production, but I don't know if this one has made it back in yet. Um, I got to go back and do more research on that, but I know Howard put a lot of emotion in everything that he did. So let's, let's go ahead and fast forward among other numerous accolades. So they were receiving nominations and awards for all the great things they were doing. And they, I mean, Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. 
So fast forward to 18, or 1989, the song Under the Sea. Howard and Allen won an Academy Award for Best Song Under the Sea in 1989. And let's go back and listen to this. Alan Menken, Howard Ashman for Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid. I won't do fish jokes, just to say a couple thank yous. At Disney, to Jeff Katzenberg, Peter Schneider, to Sam Wright, who sang the song, all the words. Mostly, though, to John Musker and Ron Clements, whose movie Little Mermaid really is. At William Morris, there's Don Aslan, Mike Peretzian, and my beloved Esther Sherman. And at home, there's my mom, there's my sister, there's Nancy and Bill. I feel really lucky. Thank you. Thanks to the musical team that worked on the songs, Robbie Merkin, Thomas Pazettieri, and Jack Redford in particular. Thank you, and thank you to the Academy. Pretty cool to be up on that stage and just years before, you know, you're in theater and now you're working for Disney and now you're getting an award with your best friend, right? Alan Menken. The accomplishments, right? Pretty amazing. So shortly after receiving that award, now we all know at this point, Howard had HIV. He was infected with HIV. This is when things started going downhill for Howard. Now he, at this point, he was working on, he already worked on A Little Mermaid. He was working on Aladdin and uh, he already worked on Aladdin because that had finished, but they were still polishing that up to, to put it out in the 90s. And then he was working on Beauty and the Beast. And this is where things got tough. Howard got really sick. And in order to allow him to continue working on Beauty and the Beast on that team and and bring that creativeness to the whole Renaissance period, it wasn't working out, working in the studios and coming into work every single day. They had to do something, right? Put him in a place where he can get care because he was getting really, really sick at this point. So he moved to a location up in New York and he moved with his partner, Bill Lotch, which uh, now is an individual we've talked about two years ago where uh, not to be, um, what would you call, awkward or something, or, or, or a creeper. I, I've tracked him down and uh, obtained a, a contact, contact, contact information. Contact information, yeah. Right. And, and I wanted to bring him on. I just never called him uh, to bring him on. Um, but I was I was going to reach out to him one day a few years ago and ask if he'd come on and just talk with us. Because I wanted to learn more about Howard, you know, and the joy that he brought, not only to Disney, but just to life in general. Because he was that person. Um, but he ended up moving with Bill to New York. Uh, back to New York and he worked from his room uh, on Beauty and the Beast so while they're recording he would be in bed on his phone right giving directions and attending all the recording sessions via phone in his room and the actors and the singers would perform and he would listen and he would give them direction or you know attaboy or I was really thinking it should go this way from a phone all the way across the United States which is how it used to be now it would be Skype if they were doing it or FaceTime I mean let that sink in no I know was so good at his job that Disney was like, we, please, we know you're very sick. We still want you to work on this. And Howard wanted to as well. This was his life. This was his creation, right? This was his baby. It probably gave him the will to live longer anyway. Right. And so he's in his apartment working on, on this. I'm mean, excuse me, a house in New York working on this via the phone. Sometimes, Vicky, all day long, all yep. day long, he'd be on the phone helping these singers and these actors in this performance. And Disney, they had so much admiration for him and confidence in what he was doing that they would allow him to make changes and he's not even there over the phone 
and make those big changes with the actor's voice themselves and the people singing. It, uh, truly, truly amazing. Now, a couple years later, fast forward, Beauty and the Beast is still being worked and he didn't, he only lived to see the rough version of Beauty and the Beast. He didn't live to see the completed version that was released. And Howard eventually died from his complications of AIDS on March 14, 1991, uh, before, just before the film was completed. And I believe he was 40 years old at the time. So at this point, I've put together two documentaries. Um, D- Disney's Miracle Man, I think that's what it was called. And then we have Waking Sleeping Beauty. And if you haven't seen Waking Sleeping Beauty, you've heard me talk about it a lot. It's during the renaissance of Disney, that period. But they focus a lot on not only bringing the studios back, but there's a huge section of that where they contribute a lot of the Renaissance period to Howard Ashman. And so you're going to hear that here. And I've kind of blended both stories together into one. And so that's going to go ahead and finish out this episode of, yeah, what I would like to call Disney's Messiah is the Miracle Man, Howard Ashman. So go ahead and please listen to this. We're here at start. He starts establishing the rhythm clams take it off and oysters and he's feeding on monsters, whatever. At the Walt Disney Studios from 1984 to 1994, a perfect storm of people and circumstances changed the face of animation forever. But it almost never happened. Here it is, April 9th, 1980. This is the pass to all you folks out there. And um, we're going to go inside and see what it's like. Come on. Revisions. A hundred <laughs> drawings go in the trash. The fact is, is that the last couple of animated movies made were not particularly good. That year, we were beat out at the box office by the Care Bears movie. We knew we hit rock bottom when the studio told us that we were being kicked out of our own building. I think after that meeting, we all kind of said, we're going to make great films. The work was intense, the hours were long, and there was only one thing that could stop it all. Do you have Howard? Oh, gosh. Howard Ashman's contribution to, to Disney animation is so profound. Obviously, we, we adored him and his genius. Well, Howard, Howard was that rare um, force, uh, you know, a dramatist who understood how to use music effectively. Howard is referred to by Roy Disney as another Walt which shocked me when I was interviewing him. Of all people, why would Roy say this about Howard Ashman? But he was. To us and to our generation, he was a Walt Disney type. And I think Howard Ashman was the key to much of our success. He was a great storyteller. He knew how to lyrically be funny. Alan Menken's music is accessible and complicated and beautiful. And the two of them really shaped what these movies were to become. He was highly in demand. And the fact is... He chose to use his talents in animation. When I was uh, approached with an opportunity to work for Disney, period, I left and I said, what about animation? He came in from the outside, uh, Jewish, gay, Baltimore, theater, nothing in common with us. I mean, we were all kids from Southern California. Yeah, we had been to the theater, but probably not in years and would probably forced to by our parents. When he came to Disney, he was offered three projects. He was offered um, the, uh, an adaptation of the Tina Turner autobiography, I, Tina, which became What's Love Got to Do With It, uh, live-action Thief of Baghdad, which found its way into our work on Aladdin, and Little Mermaid, animated musical. And he said, 
Little Mermaid. That was big. That was big. And Howard comes in and says, no, no, you don't understand. Telling stories with music is central to what Disney is. And here's how you do it. Howard kind of introduced us to his way of thinking. Howard Ashman brought our entire staff into the little feature animation theater on Flower Street, which was very tiny, and we all fit in it <laughs> because there weren't very many of us. And he did kind of an oral history of the evolution of the American musical and the evolution of the Disney animated film. He sort of did these two parallel tracks and showed how they intertwined. I'm really a musical theater person, and I do see a very, very strong connection between these two media. And he had all these examples and all these songs he played and all these things that he told us that, that, that uh, bolstered his point, that these two types of storytelling were made for each other. And he sold us on it. Wherever you're creating something where the songs mean are in a context bigger than themselves. That's, in a sense, musical theater. Howard understood that. What would I give if I could live out of these waters? The intensity mm -hmm. is better than... What would I give is better than, than, than noise. Yeah. You take the, the key notes, the high notes of your story, when characters can't help but let their emotions run out and they have to sing about it. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think? So when somebody's in love and they have to sing, or when somebody's angry and the villain's out and they have to sing about it. So the songs aren't just pasted on. They're the tent poles that hold the movie up. You never had a friend like me. Big difference from what anybody else does still today. And Howard said, no, here it is. Here's six tent poles. I'm going to give them to you. They're called Belle and Be Our Guest and Beauty and the Beast and Gaston's Song. And you're going to string those tent poles up and we'll have a groovy tent to play with. I embraced it completely. I thought I th his, because how could you not? His, his stuff was so funny and tuneful and witty and such a joy to listen to. You couldn't wait to get back to the drawing board because his, his lyrics were so hilarious. They just demanded a drawing. And he revolutionized in every way what we did. He was such an integral part of the creation of, of uh, those first three films, Mermaid, Beauty, and Aladdin. And there was such a hole left uh, uh, in his wake after his passing. But on the other hand, he had that kind of influence on everybody. Before Beauty and the Beast was finished, we threw a big dog and pony show for the New York press where we showed some of the clips from the film and Alan sang some of the songs. I, th I don't think we had, could have ever imagined a, a more enraptured reception to the movie and the songs. And we all were very excited about the idea of sharing this with Howard. We wanted him to hear the news. And then we all jumped in the cab, and we raced downtown to St. Vincent's. 
We rushed from the press presentation, which, as rough as it was, was a huge success. We were high from it, and we came into the cold shock of Howard dying in a hospital room. His mother pulled back the sheets to show us the Beauty and the Beast sweatshirt that he was wearing. He was 80 pounds, had lost his sight, and barely had a whisper of a voice. We shared with him what happened that day and how amazing it was and how he was there in every way. Then, when it was time to leave, we said our goodbyes. Before I left, I bent over and whispered, Beauty and the Beast was going to be a great success. <laughs> Who'd have thought it, I said. And Howard lit up and whispered, I would have. It is with deepest pride and greatest pleasure that we welcome you tonight. And now, we invite you to relax, pull up a chair, as the dining room proudly presents your dinner. Be our guest, be our guest, put our service to the test, tie your napkin around your neck, monsieur, and we'll provide the rest. Soup du jour, hot hors d'oeuvres, sir, we only live to serve. Try the gray stuff, it's delicious, don't believe me, ask the dishes, they can sing, they can dance. After all, sir, this is France, and our dinner here is never second best. Go on, unfold your man, you take a glance, and then you'll be our guest, we our guest, be our guest. We'll prepare and serve with flair a culinary cabaret. Yes, you're cold, yes, you're wet, but we'll help you to forget. You all know outside it's storming when the silverware's performing. He tells jokes, I do tricks with my fellow candlesticks. And it's all in perfect taste that you can bear. Come on and lift your glass, you've won your own free pass to be our guest. If you're stressed, it's fine dining, we suggest. Be our guest, be our guest, be our guest. Life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He's not all without a soul to wait upon. Ah, oh, those good old days when we were useful. Suddenly those good old days are gone. Ten years we've been rusting, needing so much more than dusting, needing exercise, a chance to use our skills. Most days we just lay around the castle. Flabby, fat, and lazy, you walked in and oops a daisy. It's a guest, it's a guest, sakes alive, we'll all be blessed. Wine's been poured and thank the Lord, I've had the napkins freshly pressed. With dessert, he won't tea, and my dear, that's fine with me. While the cups do their soft shoeing, I'll be bubbling, I'll be brewing, I'll get warm, piping hot, and the shake is a spot. Clean it up, we want the company impressed. We've got a lot to do, is it one last? I'm for two, for you our guest. He's our guest. Be our guest, be our guest. Our command is your request. It's ten years since we've had anybody here, and we're obsessed. With your meal, with your ease, yes, indeed, we aim to please. While the candlelight's still glowing, let us help you. We'll keep going. Cross by cross. 
Aaron Chapman runs rampant, he has wild in the streets, open sesame, here we go. Pack your shield, pack your sword, you won't ever get bored, they'll get beaten or bored, you might call it bad, call it great, but let all of me praise, it's For friends, none closer, get mad, heck no sir, not us for strong or permanent team, for guys out pounding on the pavements of Baghdad, for guys with one Arabian dream, to stay this lazy and play like crazy, Babcat, Omar, Aladdin, Cassie, take it Omar.
commanding him to obey. Fresh out of cash, no problem. I drop a smith and go running straight to my papa. And everything's okay. Okay, princesses get their way. Believe it, princesses get their way. That was very rough. Rejected. Publicly humiliated. Why, it's more than I can bear. More beer? What for? Nothing helps. I'm disgraced. Who, you? Never. Gaston, you've got to pull yourself together. Gosh, it disturbs me to see you, Gaston, looking so down in the dumps. Every guy here loved to be you, Gaston, even when taking your lumps. There's no man in town as admired as you. You're everyone's favorite guy. Everyone's awed and inspired by you. And it's not very hard to see why. No one's slick as Gaston. No one's quick as Gaston. No one's neck's as incredibly thick as Gaston. For there's no man in town half as manly. Perfect, a pure paragon. You can ask any Tom, Dick, or Stanley, and they'll tell you whose team they'd prefer to be on. No one's been like Gaston, a kingpin like Gaston. No one's got a swell cleft in his chin like Gaston. As a specimen, yes, I'm intimidating. My what a guy like Gaston. Give five hurrahs, give twelve hippies. Gaston is the best and the rest is all trips. No one fights like Gaston. Houses fights like Gaston. In a wrestling match, nobody fights like Gaston. For there's no one as burly and brawny. As you see, I've got biceps to spare. Not a bit of him scraggly or scrawny. That's right. And every last inch of me's covered with hair. No one hits like Gaston, matches wits like Gaston. In a spitting match, nobody spits like Gaston. I'm especially good at expectorating. Three ten points for Gaston. When I was a lad, I ate four dozen eggs every morning to help me get large. And now that I'm grown, I eat five dozen eggs, so I'm roughly the size of a barge. Who plays dice like Gaston? Who breaks hearts like Gaston? Who's much more than the sum of his parts like Gaston? When I hunt, I sneak up with my quiver, and the beasts of the field say a prayer. First I carefully aim for the liver, then I shoot from behind. Is that fair? I don't care. No one shoots like Gaston, makes those feels like Gaston. Then goes tromping around wearing boots like Gaston. I use antlers in all of my decorating. Say it again, who's a man among men? And let's say it once more, who's that hero next door? Who's a super success, don't you know? Can't you guess? Ask his friends and his five hangers on. There's just one guy in town who's got all of it down. And his name is G.
that they don't reprimand their daughters. Bright young women, sick of swimming, ready to stand. And ready to know what all people know. Ask them my questions and get some answers. What's a fire and why does it, what's the word? It my turn, wouldn't I love, love to explore that shore up above, out of the sea, wish I could be. what I do to help poor unfortunate merfolk like yourself, poor souls with no one else to turn to. I admit that in the past I've been a nasty, they weren't kidding when they called me, well, a witch. But you'll find that nowadays I've mended all my ways, repented, seen the light, and made a switch to and I fortunately know a little magic. It's a talent that I always have possessed. And here lately, please don't laugh. I use it on behalf of the miserable, lonely, and depressed. Pathetic, poor, unfortunate souls in pain, in need. This one longing to be thinner, that one wants to get the girl. Do I help them? Yes, indeed. They come flocking to my cauldron, crying spells, Ursula, please, and I help them. Yes, I do. Now it's happened once or twice that someone couldn't pay the price, and I'm afraid I've had to rake on cross the coals. Yes, I've had the odd complaint, but on the whole, I've been a saint to those poor unfortunate souls. Here's the deal. I'll make you a potion that will turn you into a human for three days. Got that? Three days. Now listen, this is important. Before the sun sets on the third day, you've got to get dear old Princey to fall in love with you. Specifically, he's got to kiss you. Not just any kiss, a special kiss, the kiss of true love. And if he does kiss you before the sun sets on the third day, you'll remain human permanently. And if he doesn't, you turn back into a mermaid. And you belong to me. No, Ariel, don't be stupid. Don't listen to her. She'll... Have we got a deal? If I become human, I'll never be with my father or sisters again. That's right. <laughs> but you'll have your man. Life's full of tough choices, isn't it? Come on, I know you need a little magic. And magic is my specialty to jour. Don't just stand there looking sick. Would I kid you play a trick? Like I told you, I don't do that anymore. So I think you ought to take my little bargain. Yes, I think you ought to make my little deal. Sure, it's hard to leave your life, but you could be a prince's wife. Why don't you let me take that dream and make it real? Come on, you poor unfortunate soul. 
with a potion and a plan. Aren't you glad you came and asked if I can help you? And I can. When a mermaid comes to Ursula, she always gets her man. You poor unfortunate soul. Oh, 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 I almost forgot. We haven't discussed the subject of payment. You know, you can't get something for nothing. But I don't have any. I'm not asking much. Just a token, really, a trifle. You'll never even miss it. What I want from you is your voice. My voice? You got it, sweet cakes. No more talking, singing, zip. Without my voice, how can I? You'll have your looks, your pretty face. And don't underestimate the importance of body language. <laughs> the men up there don't like a lot of blabber. They think a girl who gossips is a bore. Yes, on land it's much preferred for ladies not to say a word. And after all, dear, what is idle prattle for? Come on, then! Not all that impressed with conversation. Three gentlemen avoid it when they can. But they don't inform and fawn on a lady who's withdrawn. It's she who holds her tongue who gets her man. You, you. Bridge my speed, you've got to pay the toll. Take a gulp and take a breath and go ahead and sign the scroll. Got some chance and now I've got her. Boys, the boss is on a roll. This poor, unfortunate Somebody else's lake. You dream about going up there, but that is a big mistake. Just look at the world around you, right here on the ocean floor. Such wonderful things around you. What more is you looking for? Under the sea, under the sea. Down then it's better, down where it's wetter. Take it from me. Up on the shore, they work all day. Out in the sun, they slave away. Why we be boating? Full time you floating under the sea. Oh yeah. Down here, all the fish is hopping as all through the waves they roll. The fish on the land they hopping. They start cause they in the bowl. But fish in the bowl is lucky. They in for a world of fish. One day when the boss get hungry, guess who gon' be on the plate? Oh no. Under the sea, under the sea, nobody beat us, fry us and eat us, we break a sea. We what the land folks loves to cook, under the sea we off the hook. We got no troubles, life is the bubbles, under the sea, under the sea, under the sea. Since life is sweet here, we got to beat here naturally. Even the searching and delay. They get the urge to start to play. We got to spirit, you got to hear it. Under the sea. The news played 
the fruits the trap play the harp the plays play the bass and they sound in sharp the bass play the brass the jug play the job the snoop is the duca's soul and the ready can play the links on the strings the trout rock the mouse the blackfish the sings the smell them the brass they know where it pass and all that blowfish blow Prince Ali 
There's no question that Sally's impressive Though his entourage may be excessive All those elephants at once can quite unnerve one Still the guy gives a parade new meaning And the sight of all those peacocks preening He's a prince without a beer and we deserve one Prince Ali, handsome is he, Ali Everything can nice man just we plain and Well, get on he's out, a winner, he's a winner, he's a wonder just He's a bell and from my heart asunder Gawk and I absolutely love the way he dresses He's got 95 white Persian monkeys He's got the monkeys, let's see the monkeys And to view them, he charges no fee He's generous, so generous He's got slaves, he's got servants and flunkies Proud to work for him to his whim, love serving him, they're just lousy with loyalty to Ali, Prince Ali, Prince Ali, Amaris, he, Ali, Ababwa, heard your princess was a sight lovely to see, and that good people is why he got dolled up and dropped by, with 60 elephants, llamas galore, with his bears and lions, a brass band. With his 40 fakers, his cooks, his bakers, his birds at war, on key, make way for Prince Ali. There you see her sitting there across the way. She don't got a lot to say, but there's something about her. The real heritage of, of Howard is that he actually taught us how to make our movies sing again. On airplanes and in airports and in restaurants and on the telephone, people are playing Beauty and the Beast or they're playing something from one of the movies all the time. And it's one of those things, it's just, it's part of life now. And you don't know why, but you're dying to try, you wanna kiss the girl. But as great as a, a, a lyricist as he was, I think that, uh, if he had been able to live longer and do a lot more work, he, he might have been the great musical book writer of our time. Yes, you want her. Look at her, you know you do. Possibly she wants you to. There's one way to ask her. Um, we talked about um, fairy tales before, but in um, children's theater with Isabel Berger, he had done Aladdin and he had done uh, Beauty and the Beast. You know, whether it was, you know, Little Mermaid or Beauty or Aladdin or any of these things, he, he, he just had a, a simpatico uh, uh, creativity that, that just instantly plugged into these movies. And he was so certain that he was right about it. I mean, it, it and, and was. <laughs> Howard's interest and the place of our greatest need was in feature animation. It was one, it's a marriage made in heaven. I like to think today that, you know, at, for Disney Animation, which has enjoyed, you know, such an extraordinary renaissance, that we have two guardian angels. One is Walt Disney, who sits over one shoulder and truly touches every frame of every movie that we make today. And the other is Howard, who sits over the other shoulder and touches every musical note that we hear of every movie today and will for decades to come. 
sing with me now. Before I left, I'd been over and whispered, Beauty and the Beast was going to be a great success. <laughs> Who'd have thought it, I said. And Howard lit up and whispered, I would have.
was truly an amazing story and I and I do believe that he probably lived longer because of the time that he was spending on his love Nick I think I know you were saying that he worked all day sick as a dog but I when people are sick like that they always if they have something a reason to live and I feel like that music was his lifeline and I think that that's the reason that um, he probably lived as long as he did and then he felt even though he only got to see the rough version maybe he felt like he had done his justice or done what he needed to do and I don't know it's kind of like when you know somebody is dying and they you're waiting for that person to come and say goodbye to you that was his goodbye kind right. of I, that's how I feel listening so to it. I'm tearing up over this. You heard, you heard <laughs> in the documentary, you know, when they're visiting him in the hospital, they said, you know, who would ever thought being the beast would be such a great hit? And he could barely speak, you know, I mean, skinny to the bones. Oh, I'm sure. With his with his sweater on, being the beast sweater, saying, I knew it would be, right? Like, I knew it would be, you know, like whispering that out, no energy, but he knew, you know, he's like yeah. telling his friends, no, I knew it would be. Um, Very, very sad story, but a very inspirational story. Uh, uh, a man here who put his life in to his work and you can see it in his work and there's a great story behind Howard Ashman and I can't wait to see Don Bluth's documentary on Howard Ashman called Howard I haven't been able, I haven't found I know you, you've been looking for that for a while so hopefully that will come out soon thanks again listeners for listening to the number one podcast that entertains the space between your ears the Mousecapades podcast Vicky did you have something to say I just was gonna say be sure to listen to Monday's show because we will be airing clips of pop-ups from our friend Lee and Callie and his family at Disneyland. He was out there for the 63rd anniversary of Disneyland, right? He was. He was. Uh, if you're interested in being a guest on our show or you have a question or comment, simply text us at 407-674-0414 or email us at mousecapadespodcast at gmail.com. Or if you would like Nick and I to ba- book a magical trip for you or just give you a free quote for a magical trip, text us at 407-674-0414 or contact, contact us at travel at mousecapades podcast.net and don't forget to check out our social media accounts my instagram page mousecapades underscore nick and our facebook page the mousecapades podcast i think it's about that time peace and love have Have a magical magical day my friends You've been listening to the all-new Mousecapades podcast. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. If you have questions, comments, or would like to be a guest on the show, please visit our website. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. And have a magical day.